You are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, happy Easter Sunday. We're... We are thrilled that you have chosen to be at Southwest on this Easter weekend, and uh, we want to say with all of our hearts that He is worthy of all the worship we can give Him. With that said, let's just pray and ask God to bless our time together. Dear God, we thank you for what a, what a great and awesome God you are. Thank you for your plan of sending your son to this earth. And thank you, Father, that not only was he willing to die for us, but, Father, we thank you that he rose from the dead. And, Father, we celebrate that on this Easter Sunday. And I pray, Father, that you will enable us to just really soak in the message of the resurrection in a way that really impacts our hearts and our lives today. And I pray, Father, for your spirit to be at work in me and through me in such a way that this message will truly be communicated in a clear way to your glory and to your honor. It's in Jesus, our risen Lord, that we pray. Amen. Well, this is truly my favorite time of year. As the weather begins to turn, at least hopefully it begins to turn, And uh, we can enjoy at least sunshine like this morning and enjoy beautiful days like yesterday when we enjoyed our outdoor Easter extravaganza and we had a great time. We were grateful after days of rain that it cleared up so that we could have uh, 13,000 Easter eggs picked up and uh, and it just seemed like 30 seconds. But uh, it was great and we were rejoicing in that. And, uh, but not only do I enjoy the, the turn of spring, but uh, more importantly, I, I love Easter, where it's an opportunity for us to revisit the very foundation of our faith as a church. And yet, this is the first time in my lifetime that Easter Sunday has fallen on April 1st, which is typically known as April Fool's Day. So this is the very first April Fool's Easter that I have ever experienced. Now, some of you have possibly wondered why the Easter date continually changes from year to year. Well, the reason why is because a group of Christian leaders approximately 300 years after Jesus was resurrected uh, decided that, uh, uh, that Easter would be celebrated on the first Sunday after the first full moon of spring, which could end up anywhere between March 22nd and April 25th. Now, this was not simply a random choice, but chosen to coincide with the first Sunday following the Jewish Passover, which was the time that Jesus was crucified. Now, for those of you who are curious, the last time Easter fell on April 1st was back in 1956, so at least you know I was born after that, okay, which just so happened to be the same day that this dear couple, Gay and Grail Milthaler, members here at Southwest, were officially engaged. 
You see, it was on, yes. And they're here in the crowd today. You see, it was on April 1st, 1956, that Grail gave Gay her engagement ring at Easter sunrise service at Carolyn Park in Dayton, Ohio. No fooling. That was the day he chose to give her ring. Now, you have to either chalk that up as a very gutsy move by Grail uh, to give his fiance an engagement ring on April Fool's Day, or he was hedging his bets just in case she balked so he could just say, I was just kidding, April Fool's. <laughs> and yet on September 22nd, 1956, they were married. Here's the lovely newlyweds. And now they're going, this September will be 60, their 62nd anniversary. So it's obvious they weren't fooling. Now, how's that for an April Fool's story? I, I love that. And uh, just like they weren't fooling around about that they loved each other, we aren't fooling around here at Southwest about our faith. And we are celebrating this Easter Sunday the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, let's read about that good news. If you have your Bibles or if you can pull out the message insert in the bulletin, you can follow along in 1 Corinthians 15, this telling of the good news. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. It is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. I love how Paul begins this, this amazing chapter found in the Bible. It's 1 Corinthians 15 is sometimes called the resurrection chapter. Paul begins to weave this fascinating rhetoric to emphasize the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's emphasizing the very core of their faith, and he's emphasizing the very core of our faith. As we continue in verse 3, he writes, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the Scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. After this listing of overwhelming evidence of personal eyewitness testimonies of the resurrection of Jesus, Paul continues in verse 13 with a strong review at the end of this letter written to this church in Corinth, Greece, by inviting them, and he's inviting us, to a logical consideration of the past. Let's keep reading in verse 13. He says, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. 
And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. And, continuing in verse 19, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. This entire chapter of the Bible, as I shared earlier, is a fascinating weave of rhetorical logic to help us examine the central core of the Christian faith. Here we are challenged by the Apostle Paul to ask ourselves, do we believe that there is a resurrection of the dead? Or as maybe we would typically say in our 21st century language, is there life after death? What about you? Do you believe that there is life after death? Do you believe that there is a resurrection from the dead? This past month, we received the sad news that the brilliant author and physicist Stephen Hawking passed away. Interestingly enough, he passed away on March 14th, which happens to be Pi Day, which is an irony that only maybe a math nerd like me would probably find fascinating. Hawking, who inspired many with his determination to live a productive life in spite of a long battle with ALS, and facing many physical limitations like being confined to a wheelchair and and having to use computer-automated technology to be able to speak. And yet, with all of his intelligence, accomplishments, and fame, I found it truly sad to read his take on God, God and faith and life after death. I wanted to share with you this Easter Sunday some of the things that he wrote. He said, we are free to, we are each free to believe what we want. And it's my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created our universe and no one directs our fate. He went on to write, This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. Although I acknowledge Hawking's God-given intelligence and gifts, personally, I am deeply saddened by his conclusions. And my hope is that he possibly had a change of heart toward the end of his life. That's my hope. And yet, I believe his position is one that unfortunately many hold in our current time. Honestly, this was a position that I was wrestling with many years ago as a student of mathematics. And yet, the resurrection of Jesus was what convinced me personally to take a different path in life. The convincing story in Scripture for me many years ago was a story that 
At that time, as I was struggling with faith, I read over and over and over again and asked myself, did I truly believe this was true? And in fact, I reread it earlier this week, this past week, as I was personally wrapping up what we were celebrating here at Southwest and what I challenged many of you to participate in was called the 21 Days of Easter Challenge. And that 21 Days of Easter Challenge was to read the entire Gospel of John in the 21 days that led up to Easter Sunday. Personally, I found that a, a fascinating journey just to revisit my faith in Christ yet once again. And by the way, for those of you who are just worshiping with us here on Easter Sunday, you might say, well, I missed that challenge. Well, it's not too late to take the challenge. In fact, you could pick up one of the free New Testaments that we have out in the, out in the lobby, and you could pick up and look at the fourth book in that uh, paperback version and read the Gospel of John one chapter a day and finish it on the 21st day of April. And you could examine the life of Jesus. In fact, we're going to be doing that here as a church in the weeks to come. In fact, you can find on your seat these, these flyers as we take a look at the real Jesus and try to expose some of the myths that people have believed about him. And yet, back to my journey of faith and the story in John that convinced me to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It was the story of doubting Thomas, whom I could personally identify with. And by the way, the the painting that you see up on the screen, this is a painting done by the 17th, 16th, 17th century Italian painter Caravaggio. This painting is entitled The Incredulity of St. Thomas. This is the one piece of art that is on my wall in my office, along with photos of my family and photos of my trip to Israel. But this painting is of great meaning to me because it it demonstrates the story that really turned my heart. It's a story that I wanted to read to you today from John chapter 20 and verse 27. When we read these words, then he, Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, Jesus was talking about us. 39 years ago, as a doubting teenager, I read this text and I resolved with all my heart for once and for all to believe in the resurrected Jesus and to put my trust in him. It's made all the difference in my life. How about you? Do you believe in the resurrected Jesus? Do you believe that Thomas truly put his finger in the side of Jesus and could see, yes, his Lord that he had been following had been resurrected from the dead? Now, personally, I think what's even more troubling 
Then the individual who says, I don't believe in God and I don't believe there's life after death and I don't believe that Jesus has been resurrected because at least they're honest about where they're at. I think what's even more troubling is the person who gives lip service to being a Christian and yet deep down in their heart, they really are an agnostic because they're not sure if they believe or maybe even an atheist because they down deep, don't really believe that this story is true. Not too long ago, I was talking with an individual who told me that he considered himself a Christian because he he really believed that the teachings of Jesus made sense and that they were very helpful in life. And then he followed what I thought was a good statement with this statement that really troubled me. He said, Even if the claims and story of Jesus are not true, I've decided to be a Christian. Now, although I tried not to react in the moment because I wanted to give him a good hearing and I wanted to hear him out and understand where he was coming from, in my heart, I was deeply saddened by his thinking. And honestly, I've been praying for him ever since daily. Because you see, this individual has simply reduced Christianity to another philosophy. And it's this type of thinking the Apostle Paul wrote when he said, if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. You see, this is what Paul said was truly foolish. Yet, it is not foolish to put our faith in the resurrection of Jesus. Because as we will continue, we'll see that in the resurrection, there's true power for the presence. In the next fascinating section of 1 Corinthians 15, it begins with one of the most difficult verses in the Bible. It's verse 29. When the apostle Paul writes these words, if the dead will not be raised, what point is there in people being baptized For those who are dead, why do it unless the dead will someday rise again? As I said, verse 29 is is one of the most disputed Bible verses, and there are numerous theories out there. In fact, preparing for this message, I got out all my commentaries on 1 Corinthians, and and I read through them, and I I looked at all the different theories, as many as 40, 40 different theories about what this verse means. And actually, after a while, I started getting a brain cramp because it was just, it's just difficult to comprehend exactly what the apostle meant here. But there are some things that I have come convinced it doesn't mean. I do not believe that Paul is advocating, he's he's not advocating vicariously being baptized for someone who has previously died which interestingly enough is practiced by at least one contemporary group. And yet the Bible doesn't teach this approach. It always talks about people being baptized, making an intentional decision of faith. Now, although I can't answer all the questions about this verse, it's important to note that it does appear, and it's very clear that there's a strong and important correlation between baptism and the resurrection from the dead. As one commentator describing this verse wrote, baptism is an act of faith whereby they profess conviction in what Paul preached in Corinth. 
Yes, Christ is raised from the dead. And the dead in Christ are destined for resurrection. A very concise Bible verse that further describes this connection between baptism and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is found in another letter that the apostle wrote to another church. It's found in Colossians 2 verse 12. And this is what he said to them. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You see, in baptism, and and by the way, I believe baptism is a beautiful faith act that God has given to those who will believe in him as a gift. You see, in baptism, the person who's ready to surrender to Jesus' leadership is united not only in the death of Christ when buried with Christ, but united with him in his resurrection, and by faith is united with the power of the resurrection. So baptism is an opportunity for the believer to not simply trust in the death, burial, and resurrection, but also to experience in a very real way the power of the resurrection. Now here's my question for you this weekend. Have you experienced and tapped into the power of the resurrection in your life? I hope you have. If not, I want to invite you to investigate further the teaching in the Bible about this beautiful faith act of baptism. And that's why, for me personally, weeks like last week are so encouraging. Because we didn't simply have one person baptized last week. We had five individuals that were baptized into Christ. And it was great beginning last Sunday to see, last Sunday morning to see a husband and father of two, Adam Dagley, be baptized. That was great. To see on Sunday evening a a grandfather baptize his granddaughter. A high school girl turn around and baptize her junior high sister. To see our student minister baptize a high school student that he had had numerous conversations and personally I'd been praying for for months. And then last night, to cap off a great week, we had parents baptize their teen daughter into Christ. You see, baptism is this faith event that a believer is tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is now available to bring about a new life, to be at work in our, the life of the Jesus follower so that he or she can make changes in their life that they never imagined. This is the good news actualized in the life of the believer through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I want to ask again, do you know this type of power in your life? Have you experienced this life-changing power that's available in Christ? This was the inviting good news that initially drew me to examine the teachings of Jesus and his claims, and it led me to eventually surrender my life to Christ 
and to be baptized almost 39 years ago. In fact, that anniversary of that date is this week. You see, at that point in my life, I'd become painfully aware that I couldn't change myself. And yet the gospel of Christ gave me hope that there was a power available through the Holy Spirit that could bring about some very needed changes in my life. And here's the good news. For those of you who, like me, were baptized maybe years ago, here's the good news. We can continue to experience over and over again the power of the resurrection in our life if we will just trust that the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, longs to transform us. This is how the Bible describes that transformation in Romans chapter 8 in verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You see, the gift of the Holy Spirit is one of the salvation gifts that an individual receives in baptism. Now, this is good news. And the promise for those who are led by the Holy Spirit in their lives is not not only can they have the confidence and assurance of being a saved child of God, but they also can cling to the hope of continual personal victories over sin and temptation. And the promise for the Christian is to continually change, to continually be changed, to become more like Jesus. As someone who's been a Christian for almost four decades, I recognize that I still have a long way to go to be like Jesus. I fall miserably short every day. And yet I can share this with you with full confidence and with gratitude in my heart that I'm a lot more like him today than I was four decades ago. And if I am blessed to live a life that I can live another four decades on this earth, I have great confidence that I'll become more like Jesus then than I am now, and I look forward to that. And by the way, if I, if I live another four decades, maybe I can be like Sister Jean with uh, Loyola and maybe be at the Final Four cheering on my favorite basketball team as their chaplain. That's something I'm looking forward to. But back to our point, message. Yet the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just speak to our past or even to the power we can have in the present, but it also gives us hope for the future. That's our final observation today. The resurrection gives us hope for the future. As we keep reading in this particular chapter of the Bible, we see the reminder that no one gets out of this life without problems, sickness, and personal weakness. And yet, in spite of those personal challenges, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Christian can continue to hold firmly to a bright hope for the future. Paul writes this later in this great chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43. He says, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as 
natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Now, for some of you that maybe have never read this before, maybe this is putting a new twist on your view of life after death. You see, the Bible doesn't describe a disembodied existence after death. But instead, the Bible promises for the follower of Jesus a bright future with a new spiritual body. You see, the promise is not simply to have a soul existence floating on a cloud, which honestly doesn't sound that exciting to me, but but to have a new glorious body. Now, as a longtime basketball fan and as a a former basketball wannabe player, I tell myself that my new body will be a six-foot-six-inch 260-pound, low percentage of body fat body. And you see, I'm convinced that my new body will be able to throw down dunks and will have no seasonal allergies or no food allergies. And I'm looking forward to that. But you see, this passage reminds us we don't get out of this world without brokenness and sadness. But for those who trust in the resurrection of Jesus, the best is yet to come. I'm not sure what sadness or brokenness you might be facing in your life right now. Or for that matter, I don't know what sadness or brokenness you might face in the future. But because Jesus' tomb is empty, you and I can have a continual hope that the best is yet to come. More than 10 years ago, I lost my very first hero and my dad. As he passed away in 2007, after cancer had spread throughout his body. Although he has been gone for 10 years, I still miss him and often think about him. And I often think, and I've even prayed, I just wish I had one more afternoon to spend with him, to talk, and to share about life with him. I wish you could have met him you would have really liked him. This is one of my favorite pictures of him in his 70s, going down a hill on the sled with his grandkids. He loved life. He had so many good qualities in which I'm thankful. He was a bright, talented man with incredible integrity. And boy, he was funny. He was able to get the nurses laughing even at the very end. And yet, as great as a guy as my dad was, he didn't leave this world without being broken. You see, you might not be able to tell from this picture, but when he was in his 50s, he was in a bad accident that left him with a bad leg, and he lived the rest of his life with a limp. He had a stroke two years before he passed away that left him very limited physically and even mentally. By the end, cancer had taken its toll on his body. And although cancer 
took his physical life. It didn't take his faith and his hope for the future. He would often talk about his faith in Christ and his hope of heaven. And on this Easter weekend, I wanted to read a moving passage in this great resurrection chapter, which is often reserved for funerals. And yet I wanted to point all of us this Easter to the hope that we can have, the continual hope that we can have because of the resurrection of Christ. Paul closes this this section with these powerful words. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus. He says, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus, death is not the end for the Christian The hope for the follower of Jesus is because of Jesus' resurrection, death has been swallowed up in victory. Yes, my dad left this world a humble man with a broken, perishable body. But the next time I see him, and I do believe I will see him again, he will have a new imperishable body with no limp, no dementia, and no cancer. Now, he might have trouble recognizing me because I'll have my six-foot-six body, but... (laughs) but I do believe he and I will be raised with an imperishable body. You see, this was my dad's hope. This is my hope. And yet I want to ask you on this Easter weekend, do you have this hope in your heart? I'm not asking, do you have wishful thinking? I'm asking, do you have real, genuine hope for the future? Do you have the confidence and full assurance that comes from fully trusting the only one that can give us that hope? The one who came from heaven and overcame sin, and overcame death. And if you want proof, I want to point you to the empty tomb. A final thought this weekend before we observe a time of communion. And by the way, every weekend here at Southwest, we share this communion meal. It's a simple meal. It's actually a celebration meal to remember that because of what Jesus has done for us by dying on the cross, and because he was raised from the dead, we can have victory, we can have hope, and we can have confidence. As the trays are passed, this is a time to reflect and remember Jesus.
This is a time to examine our hearts and our personal relationship with Jesus and ask ourselves, do I really trust him? But it's also a time to celebrate that although Jesus died on the cross, the tomb is empty. You see, the tomb that they laid his broken, dead body is still empty today. And in communion, we take the bread to remember his broken body. And the cup reminds us of his blood that was shed to show us how much he loves us. And yet we take this not just with each other, but on this Easter weekend, we're reminded because of the resurrection that he has promised that he will be with us when we gather in his name. You see, Jesus is present today, the risen Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 closes with these words, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we want to invite you to participate in this celebratory meal, a meal that we share with each other, a meal that we have been invited to participate with our risen Lord because He is present. But I want to share this one last thought before I pray and before the trays are passed. I want you to recognize that this is not a mournful meal of some dead martyr. This is a celebratory meal of a risen Lord a risen king who's here with us today. Think about that and the hope that he brings into our lives and our hearts as we observe this time of celebration together in remembering the one that we trust. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you. We thank you that You loved us enough to send us your son, your only son. And Jesus, we're blown away that you would willingly come to this earth and die on the cross for us. And yet we are so grateful that because you were without sin, that you overcame both sin and death and that you're alive and you're here present with us today. And thank you that you've invited us to participate in this meal, to remember you, and to remember your love and sacrifice for us. Help this be a time that we reflect on our relationship with you. But help this be a time in our hearts that we celebrate that you're alive and you're present and you're here to empower us to be new creations. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did. Thank you that you're alive. Thank you that you're here. And thank you that you'll be with us tomorrow when we get back up. And we look forward to being with you forever in eternity. 
It's in your name that we offer up this prayer of thanks and celebration. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11.15 a.m.